podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 2nd of June, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to libertyshield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for all your football merchandising needs. Right, folks, uh, we are going to carry on with our squad needs. Today we have Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Newcastle United, and recently relegated Norwich City. Then we'll take our break, and then we've got some listeners' questions. So let's start with Liverpool. So goalkeeper-wise, they're fine. They've got Alisson. They've got Kelleher, they've got Pitaluga. I'd imagine Adrian sticks around another year. Karius will leave, but they don't need to address the goalkeeping position at all. At right back, they've got Trent, and very clearly, they need to find a backup for Trent. Joe Gomez can fill in there, and from a defensive point of view, he's very good there, but that position requires a bit more. And Gomez is a decent crosser of the ball, but it requires a bit more from an attacking point of view in how Liverpool play. So a backup right back is absolutely needed. At centre-back, they're set. They've got Kanate and Matip for the right side, Van Dijk and Gomez for the left side. They've got Reese Williams. They'll likely sell Nat Phillips. They've got Sepp Vandenberg who could come back and be the fifth centre-back if they wanted. So they don't need to address centre-back and they're set at left-back with Andy Robertson and Costa Simicus, it's probably the best left-back situation anyone has in Europe. So just the one player needed in defence, and it's a backup right-back, so it's not going to cost them a fortune. Into midfield, this is where the weakness is. So the left-sided role, they've got Thiago, they've got Naby Keita, and Curtis Jones can play there. So they're going to be fine in that left-sided controlling role. Obviously, there are question marks over Thiago and over Keita in terms of injuries, but Keita was much better this season in terms of injuries. That led to a much better season from him performance-wise. And Jones is fairly robust, though he did miss some time with an eye injury. So that position's fine. Fabinho's the holding midfielder. Henderson is the backup. Now, he's better there than he is in in the right-sided eight role but he's still not ideal. You can only really play him there against bad teams. 
he struggles there against good teams or teams that attack through the middle because he's not good defensively. So in an ideal world, Liverpool would address the backup holding midfield role. I don't think they will, though. I think they'll go with Henderson in that position. The right-sided midfield role is where they need a starter. Elliot can play there. Keita can play there. Jones can play there, but none of them are ideal. Elliot's not ready. Kate is more suited to the left-sided role, and Jones is too inconsistent. So they've got to find a starter. That's the big need for them this summer, before anything else happens, is a starting midfielder. And certain journalists can put, can put out all the propaganda they want that Liverpool haven't made it a priority. It is a priority. They didn't go all the way down the road with many just for the crack. That's a deal they worked on for six months. It's not something that was an opportunity that arose. They've got to address that position this summer. Now, I'd like to see it addressed with a more attacking presence than Chiumeni because of how that role has functioned, especially this season. It's basically been a fourth attacker role. Henderson doesn't offer anything going forward. Elliot, like I said, is too young. Jones is too inconsistent. It's got to be someone that can come in and start 35 games, 40 games in that role this season. In attack, they've got Salah on the right and Diaz on the left. Now, Carvalho is coming in. He'll likely be the backup to Diaz on the left. I'd look at Jota as the fourth starting attacker who can play any of the three roles. So basically, you have your starting three, then you have Jota, and then behind him, you have Cade Gordon on the right, you have Firmino in the middle, and you have Carvalho on the left. I would say Jota is the fourth starter, but the f- the first choice number nine position needs to be addressed. Mane has played there for the second half of the season, or most of it. He is leaving this summer. So that's going to be a massive need for them is to find someone to play that starting number nine. And I think if they can get that player in, It leaves them in really good shape. So it's only three players for Liverpool. A backup right back, a starting central midfielder, and a starting striker. Failure to address all three of them is leaving themselves short again. And Liverpool have a habit of leaving themselves short. And you'd hope that lessons have been learned in the past. If you're wondering why I didn't mention uh, Takumi Minamino, it's because I expect him to leave. If you're wondering why I didn't mention Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, it's because I expect him to leave as well. Uh, I think Nico Williams will also be sold, which is part of the reason Liverpool need that backup right back. Moving on to Manchester City. Goalkeeper, they're fine. They've got Ederson. Zach Steffen is better than he looked in that cup semi-final. He is a good goalkeeper. And they've got Scott Carson as their third choice keeper who's there to fill the quota spot. So goalkeeper, fine. A right back, they've got Kyle Walker. Zhao Canseo can also play there. I would look to bring in somebody else as a backup because Canseo's the starting left back. And I don't like when one player is out, you change two place, two positions to solve one issue. So I would say bring in a, a backup right back as Walker ages... He's going to pick up more injuries. He's a player who relies quite a bit on his speed. 
So he is only going to pick up more and more injuries as he gets older. I would also say bring in a backup left back because Zinchenko's a midfielder. Now they may they don't need to do this. They don't need a backup left back because they can play Zinchenko there and he is very good. But I do think he's better in midfield. But if we say he's going to play left back because of the numbers they have in midfield, then that's fine. Diaz, Laporte, Stones, Aki, centre back is fine. In midfield, they have De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva. And that's and maybe Cole Palmer will be looked at as a number eight for next season. He is 20 now. It is time he got more and more game time. There's also James McAtee. Zinchenko can play that role as well. You could look to bring in a backup left back and move Zinchenko more permanently into midfield. But for now, he just fills both roles. You know, Foden can also play as an eight. So it's not really a position of need for them. It's not something they need to address. At holding midfield, they've got Rodri. They're losing Fernandinho. So you're going to have to address that as well. You've got to get your backup defensive midfielder. Rodri plays the majority of games, but it would be nice to give him a bit more of a rest because he did start to look leggy in the middle of the season. Then he had a really strong finish to the season. But if you could spell him a bit more in the early part, you might just get even more out of him. He is, he is one of the very best in the world and City need to protect him moving forward. Um, in attack then, for the right-sided role, I suppose you'd look at Mares, Sterling, and Gabriel Jesus. For the left-sided role, you've got Foden and you've got Grealish. And then through the middle, and also Liam Delap when he comes back and play in multiple positions. The young Brazilian, uh, Keikai, he can play multiple positions. They're bringing in Haaland, they're bringing in Julian Alvarez. They don't need to buy any more in attack. The only two things they need, backup right back and a backup holding midfielder. And that pretty much completes City's squad for them. I'd like to see a bit more time given to some of those young, young players who've come through as well, like Parmer, like McAtee, like CG, CJ Egan Riley, like Liam Delap. Uh, Pep is a big proponent of youth. It'd be nice to see him you know, back up his own words. Um, but those two positions, backup right back, backup defensive midfielder, that will give City a very, very strong squad. When you factor in, they've already addressed uh, the issues they believe they had up front with Alvarez and with Erling Haaland. Moving on then to Manchester United, and this is where it could get sticky. There could be quite a few here. So they've got De Gea, They've got Dean Henderson. They've got Tom Heaton. They've got young Nathan Bishop. They've got Lee Grant, who's an older keeper that they keep around for you know, training purposes more than anything. It does look like Dean Henderson will leave this summer. Now, I don't believe De Gea fits a Ten Hag team at all. He's not good enough with his feet, and he's not brave enough with his positioning. De Gea likes the comfort of his six-yard box. He starts to twitch if he leaves the six-yard box. And Ten Hag will want to play a high line. So for me, I would say a starting goalkeeper, but De Gea earns 350 grand a week. He's going to be the number one. With Henderson leaving, you've got to bring in 
a backup. And for me, I would look to bring in a young backup who is more stylistically suited to how Ten Hag wants to play, who in a year or two can replace De Gea as the starting goalkeeper. I think they need a starting right back. Wan Bissaka just hasn't worked for United. He's got strengths to his game. He's obviously a very good 1v1 defender. But on the ball, he's just not up to what United need. And Diogo Delo just doesn't have the level that United need. So Delo is a fine backup. Move Wan Bissaka on, even if it's a loan. Send him to Palace for a year on loan. Maybe they'll buy him back in 12 months. Uh, a starting right back is absolutely necessary. Left back, Luke Shaw had a bad season. It would appear that Luke Shaw struggles with fans in the stands. He had that really good 2021 season with no fans. And this just was nowhere near that level. Alex Tellez is absolutely fine as a backup. He's a good player. So they don't need to address left back. At centre back, they have bodies. But stylistically, only two of their centre backs fit what Ten Hag likes to do. So they've got Ferran. He's the one that fits. He's got the pace and the want and desire to play that high line. Maguire doesn't. The problem is Maguire's an £80 million asset who's also your club captain. So it's a big call to drop him. Now, Eric Bailly could play in a high line, but he's always in. Victor Lindelof, you want to play a mid-block with Victor Lindelof. You don't want to play a deep line. You don't want to play a high line. You want to play the nice mid-block where your team are defending somewhere between the edge of the 18-yard box and the halfway line. About 30, 35 yards from your own goal, that's where you want a Victor Lindelof defence to be playing. And that's not what Ten Hag is going to want. So Lindelof will be a fine backup. Bailly can be a backup if they keep him. It's probably time for Phil Jones to move on and do something else with his career rather than continue to waste it at United. I know he had the injury problems, but why is he still there? Uh, Maguire is going to be the problem, but a starting centre-back to go next to um, Varane is needed. It just will cause problems. They absolutely need a starting defensive midfielder. And they need a starting central midfielder. Now, that starting central midfielder could, in theory, be Donny van der Beek. But, you know, the theory of Donny van der Beek is better than the realisation of Donny van der Beek right now. In attack... They've got Cristiano through the middle. Martial is back on loan. They've been linked with strikers, but is it a need? Well, it probably is, because Cristiano, uh, actually, as an aside, can anybody explain to me how Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Kane have been nominated for the Footballer of the Year? Because Kane didn't turn up till after Christmas and Cristiano had probably twice as many poor games as good games. I get that he scored goals. Did you watch him play all season? Did you watch the devastatingly negative effect he had on that team all season long? 
and Young Min Sun doesn't get nominated, the Golden Boot winner, absolutely laughable. Laughable stuff from the PFA. Um, a starting striker is probably a necessity, but if Cristiano's going to stay, he's going to play. So you're probably better off waiting till next summer and then addressing that. In the wide roles, you would hope that Rashford will rediscover some form. You would hope that Sancho has a better second season. They've also got Ahmed Diallo. They've got Facundo, Facundo Palestri, really talented. And they've got Anthony Alanga. So I would say in the wide roles, they're fine. Bruno will play that attacking midfield role. Donny can be his backup. That's fine. Martial can also play wide, and, and we will wait to see what happens with Mason Greenwood, obviously. But I would say in attack, they're probably better off just going with what they have and trying to actually build a team rather than just immediately going to try and buy everything at once. Try and build a team. Try and build a culture. Get your way of playing in place. And then figure out which striker suits what you do. Don't buy a striker and then try and figure out what suits him. Build your team, get your patterns of play, get your fundamentals in place, and build it out from the back. Always build your team out from the back. Now, I know certain managers go the other way. Klopp, for example, went Blitzkrieg up front and then built it the other way. But Look at the great teams over time. They're built from the back. And United United don't have players to really go with a blitzkrieg mentality up front. Rashford at his best could do it, and that's kind of it. And even that, the level of Rashford might not be the level required. But if United can go from being what they have been to being really, really strong defensively, strong in midfield, controlling games and creating chances, then, and only then, should they go and address that number nine position. So I would say for United, backup goalkeeper, starting right back, starting centre back, starting defensive midfielder, and starting centre midfielder. It's four starters and a backup keeper. That's five, and at least three of them are going to be expensive. You centre back, your defensive midfielder and your striker and your, your central midfielder, they're going to be expensive. And we know they have the money, but money hasn't helped them in the past. Now, if they're all the way down the road with Darwin, which I don't believe that they are, but if they are, that's just more of the same foolishness. You can put Darwin Nunes in this team. They're still finishing sixth. That's just the be-all and end-all of it. Because if nothing else, if you buy him and Jury and Timber, you're not going to improve yourself. You'll be quicker at the back. You'll have a bit more physicality up front. But you're not going to be any better than you are now. You're going to finish sixth again. Maybe fifth, considering Arsenal are in Europe next season and will probably drop off. But that's 115, 120 million spent to go one place up and still be in Europa League. Sort your midfield out. Sort your defence in midfield. Learn how to build from the back. Learn how to play football. 
Learn what you want to be as a team. Forget the United way. It's garbage. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You know, we always... Gary Neville used to bleat on about the United way of playing with wingers and getting down the wings and get... Didn't exist for the last 10 years Ferguson was there. Didn't play that way. So it's a myth. It's like the Liverpool way. It's a myth. It's just something people say. Eric Ten Hag needs to come with his own blueprint and build his own team. And he needs to be given time and patience through that. He shouldn't have to try and do it all in one summer. United shouldn't be trying to integrate another three or four or five starters next season. I mean, this season gone, they tried to integrate three and it completely screwed them up. Slow and steady wins the race. Backup keeper, starting right back, starting central defender, starting holding midfielder and starting central midfielder. If, you can't, if, you, if you're going to miss one of them, Miss on the starting centre midfielder and keep Fred for another year because he's fine. He's not great, but he's fine. But get that holding midfielder and give yourself a give yourself a spine. Give yourself a spine. Give it. Give yourself a base to play from. You can't do that right now. You don't have that right now. They haven't had it in years. There was bl- brief glimpses with Matic. But Chelsea knew what they were doing when they sold Matic. They knew his best days were gone. And all United did was pay him an awful lot of money to be a shell of himself. Moving on. Newcastle United. So I think the goalkeeping situation is quite strong with Dubravka, Darlow, Woodman and Gillespie. But they do want a starting goalkeeper. That's very, very clear. So we'll mark them down for a starting goalkeeper. My assumption is that um, Dubravka sticks around, Woodman goes on loan, and Darlow is sold. That's what I'm expecting to happen. At right back then, they've got Trippier. They've got Emil Kraft, who played really well when Trippier was out injured. And they've got Mankio, so that's fine. At left back, they had Matt targeted on loan. He's gone back to Villa, but they may try and bring him back in a permanent deal. They do have Jamal Lachelles. He's clearly not the manager's cup of tea for whatever reason, so he may well be moved on. Uh, Paul Dummett would be the backup there. He's not a Premier League caliber player, but you know they, they continue to give him contracts. Mankio can also play that side, and Dan Byrne can shift out if you need him. Trippier's played left-back in his career as well. But a starting left-back is definitely a position of need. Um, you've got enough cover in your squad, so you don't, need, you don't need two even if you sell Lewis. But you do need to buy a starter. Um, my own opinion is they need two starting centre-backs. I think Shar is fine if he's your third centre-back. Byrne is fine if he's your fourth and Lachelle's is fine as if, if he's your fourth or fifth. Um, but you've got to get two starting centre-backs. Now, they clearly know this because they are trying to address it, but um, we'll wait and see what kind of success they have in that regard. I would say two starting centre-backs, though. In midfield, 
you've got Bruno Gomerich, who's outstanding. You've got Jolington, who had a really good season. Once he moved back into that box-to-box role, I, I thought he really took off. Um, you've got Sean Longstaff, decent player. Willock is a good player. Isaac Hayden's a good backup defensive midfielder if he's to play next season. Shelby's a decent squad player, but shouldn't be any more than that. I think a starting holding midfielder is an absolute must for Newcastle to really get the best out of Gamerish. I think you've got to get a starting holding midfielder. And then in attack, you've got Callum Wilson is, I think, a good backup number nine, but he may end up being their starter again this season just on the basis of how much they need to do. Chris Wood is a squad player. It does look like they're finally going to get uh, Akatiki, the uh, the French youth, was he 19, 20, paying a lot of money for him, but it does look like that one's going to happen. So he's one for the future. But if Wilson's your nine and you've got him and, and Wood as the backup, I think that's strong going into next season. You've got St. Maximum. You've got Almiron, you've got Murphy, Ryan Frazier, Willock can play wide if needed. I'd look to bring in one starting winger to play on the opposite side to to St. Maximum. Doesn't really matter which way you play them, but I think Newcastle probably needs six starters in total. Starting goalkeeper, starting left back, two starting centre backs, starting defensive midfielder, and a starting wide forward with a goal threat. It's got to be somebody with a goal threat. Now they've been linked with Musa Diaby, so I think they they do it at least acknowledge that they have that issue. Um, I don't think Diaby should go there. I think he should look for a club higher up the league, someone with Champions League ambitions, but. Newcastle got him, he'd be a hell of a signing for them. So six starters for Newcastle. It's the most we've had so far. And maybe they're not all necessary. I mean, you could probably get away with one centre-back, but if you've got the money and you've got ambition, I think you go and you do it. Uh, We'll move on then to Norwich. So goalkeepers, they've got Tim Krul, they've got Angus Gunn, they've got Michael McGovern, they've got Daniel Barden. So you're probably all right in the championship with, with that group. You're going to need to buy a right back because Max Ahrens is going to leave. Sam Byram just has the injury issues. So I think you've got to address uh, a starting caliber right back. It can be someone that you can just platoon with Byram and maybe they both start 24 games or whatever. Is it 40, 23 games next season. But ideally, you probably want to get someone who'll start a bit more than that. Get someone who'll start you 30 and then Byram can play the other 16. Um, I would be looking for a centre-back because I think Grant Hanley is poor. Now, in the Championship, it's less of an issue, but I just I don't think he's up to much. I do quite like Ben Gibson, though he does have a rick in him. Um, they're going to lose Quebec. Zimmerman's always hurt. Oma Bamadeli will be back next season, and I like him. I think there's real promise in him. But I'd still look to bring in a starting centre-back. Now, at left-back, they've got Giannoulos, who I think was really good for them in the Championship. And if he sticks around, I think he can be the starter next season. And then they've got Sam McCallum, who they've had on loan the last 18 months or so. 
um, had out on loan the last 18 months. So I think he's a good player. So I'd be fine with their left-back situation. Brandon Williams will go back to United. But if I was Norwich, I, I wouldn't be against trying to get him back and play him right back. I think he'd be very, very strong in the championship. But anyway, starting centre-back, starting right-back. I think, I think you're all right then. I think you're all right in that, that regard. Um, midfield is an issue. Midfield is, is quite a big issue. Matthias Norman will leave. He was in on loan. I don't think they're going to keep him permanently. If they do, it solves one problem. Kenny McLean is decent. Pierre-Lise Malou is decent. Uh, Lucas Rupp is decent, though injury-prone. I'd be looking for one in midfield, just one midfielder with the group you have, and I think you'll be fine. And then I like what they've got in attack, I have to say. They're, they're going to lose Todd Cantwell. They're going to sell him this summer. But there's still quite a bit of talent there. You've got Solis, who's very, very talented. You've got Rishika, who's I think can explode in the championship next season. Now, my assumption is he doesn't have a buyout clause. If he does, that might be a bit more of an issue. Um, you've got Adam Aday. You've got Josh Sargent, who I thought when he played right wing looked a lot better than he did when he played as a striker. So if he's one side and Rishika's the other, and a day he can play that number 10 position where he really started to look like a good player behind Team Upuki. I think that's worth keeping. You know, they've still got other players they can bring in for depth. And like Kieran Dowell can play in those roles. Plashata can play in those roles. Solis obviously can play in those roles. I think that three behind the striker is fine. You've got Timu Puki. I think you need a backup striker. Puki's going to be your starter. But I think you need a backup who can play quite a bit and maybe is the long-term replacement for Puki. But I would say for Norwich to come back up, starting right back, starting centre back, starting centre midfielder, and a backup striker. That's working on the assumption that outside of the players that were in on loan, plus Aaron's, plus, plus Todd Cantwell, nobody else goes. And it's the same with everybody else. That's the assumption I'm working under with one or two exceptions. So, yeah, four for Norwich, three starters and a backup, six for the turn, all starters, um, five for United, four starters, two for City, both backups, and three for Liverpool, two starters and a backup. And that's what we've got. Uh, we will finish this tomorrow by going through the last five clubs. And those last five clubs are Southampton, Spurs, Watford, West Ham and Wolves. So Southampton, the aim is going to be cons consolidation in mid-table. For Tottenham, it's consolidation in the top four and maybe winning a cup. For Watford, it's going to be coming back up. For West Ham, it's a push at the Champions League and success in the Europa Conference League. And for Wolves, it's a push at Europe. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow. Uh, we'll take a break. Now, when we come back, 
we have listeners' questions. So I will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So it's listeners' questions day, so we're going to jump in. We have a few, so we'll get into these. So the first one is from DeLangster. Of what age group do you think Liverpool starts seriously tracking players? Yesterday, the French under-17 team won their age group Euro title, and some of their players looked seriously impressive. And the thought occurred to me whether we had scouts watching such games. The answer is we do. So Liverpool really do start heavily scouting players at about 15 both in the UK and abroad now it takes a very special player from abroad to attract real attention but they'll broadly scout all of those age groups from under 15 under 16 under 17 and if a star potential talent pops out they'll zero in so Mbappe was kind of the prime example Liverpool had been really heavily interested in him from when he was about 15. And then when he got to 17, they approached him and tried to sign him. Weren't successful. He broke into the Monaco team. They tried to get him again, but he was away to PSG and, and that's all she wrote. It's something they could definitely maybe invest a bit more money into, broadening that team of scouts. Uh, it's something they've definitely focused in on in the UK since Brexit, and we've seen the likes of Bobby Clark and Kate Gordon arriving at the club, young Ben Doak coming down from Celtic this summer. I think we'll see more and more of that. The Brexit rules do make it a bit, actually they make it quite a bit more difficult to bring in those young players from overseas until they turn 18, until they play senior football. So it can be tricky. But it is something Liverpool do. It is something the top clubs do. Liverpool are maybe a little bit behind in some regards in terms of their continental scouting at those age groups. But I think they're probably the best in, in England right now in terms of scouting the UK. The player mentioned here is Warren Zaire Emery, the young holding midfielder from PSG. He is a star in the making an absolute star in the making. So do keep an eye out for that name, Warren Zaire Emery. Uh, he's repped by George Mendes. So he is already one who's on a lot of radars and Pochettino's had him training with the first team already. There's big, big promise for him at PSG. Now, whether or not he ever gets into the first team there remains to be seen. We've seen some incredible young talents struggle to make that last leap at PSG for whatever reason. Christopher Nkunku, Musa Diaby, these guys should be in that PSG team. But both of them left quite early for decent fees. But, you know, I, personally, I would rather have, let's say, Diaby on the right and Kunku on the left and Messi behind Mbappe than... Di Maria on one side and Neymar on the other side. Di Maria and Neymar, obviously, big, big names, great players, incredible talent, but you haven't won the Champions League with them. It's unlikely you're going to win the Champions League with them. Now, Di Maria's away this summer. But with Diaby and Nkunku and Mbappe, 
that's something you could be building for six, seven, eight years, and yet they haven't done it. Uh, next up is Lloyd at Gum Gum Pistol. What are your thoughts on an idea where the winner of the Champions and Europa Leagues, respectively, get to host the following year's final at their home ground? If a small team like Villarreal win, it could be a bit of an issue with stadium capacity, but generally the winners have decent stadiums. That is a really good shout. I actually really like that idea because the thing is, the gulf in money between winning it and run, being runner-up isn't massive. So it makes sense to add another incentive to the pot because they'll make money off the game being at their own stadium the following year because UEFA have to pay a fee. So, yeah, I do. I really like that idea. I think that's actually a very creative idea and one that is worth trialing. Now, like you said, if a Villarreal win, then it, it's a little bit problematic because Villarreal Stadium only holds about 30,000 people. But is it, it might not even be. It might be 20-odd thousand. Uh, I don't The Madrigal only holds 23,500 people. So that is that is quite low. But, I mean, in that regard, could you then give them the Conference League instead or, or something? I don't know. It's rare that we see a team of that size win a major European trophy. Like, if we look at, say, this year's final, to be fair, this year's final only had an attendance of 39,000. And that stadium holds about 43,000. But if we look at the... Say if we look at the Champions League and the teams that have won it. So obviously Real won it this year. Their stadium holds 80,000. Chelsea won it the year before. The bridge is quite small. The bridge would be too small for a Champions League final. But Bayern's stadium is massive. Anfield will be 60,000 once the, the new extension is done. At the moment, it's probably too small for a European Cup final, but Real, 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 Barca, Real, Bayern, Barca, Inter, Barca, United, Milan, Barca. In the last, I say Porto Stadium is big. If we go back to 2000, the only clubs who've won it, whose stadiums wouldn't be big enough to hold it, to hold the final, are Liverpool and Chelsea. And the fact, you can go back even further beyond that. I mean, you'd add Juventus to the, the now, the current Juventus stadium will be too small. Um, their old stadium, the Stadio dell'Alpi, would have been absolutely fine, but it was just an atmosphere void. Um since Red Star Belgrade won it, there's only Juve, Liverpool and Chelsea that have won it whose stadiums wouldn't be big enough to host the final. And in that situation, maybe you give it to the national stadium of that country. So, you know, Liverpool or Chelsea, when it goes to Wembley, uh, Juve win it, it would have to be probably the San Siro or the, the Stadio Olimpico. 
Um, both of them obviously going to be replaced in the coming years with smaller stadiums, but still 60-odd thousand and very, very modern. Um, if we look at the UEFA Cup or the Europa League as it is, um, Eintracht Stadium is pretty big. Eintracht Stadium holds 51,000. That's big enough for a Europa League final. We know Sevilla's is. The bridge is big enough for Europa League final. Atleti, United, Sevilla three times in a row. Um, it's only really Villarreal. Spartak Moscow Stadium only holds 30, 31,000. So since since 2000, it's only really those two. Uh, sorry, it's CSK Moscow, not Spartak. CSK Moscow and Villarreal. They're the only ones whose stadiums would have been too small to hold it. Go back even further beyond that. Parmas would be, they, they won it twice, but everybody else would be fine. So yeah, like two out of 30, five out of 30 in the Champions League, and two of them were two clubs winning it twice. Um, I think this is a good idea. I really do. I think this is a really good idea. That's something I would like to see. And it would also mean that, you know, there can be no more excuses about... Now, the only thing is you might end up with the same stadium holding it quite frequently, the way Real dominate the competition, but Real love it. <laughs> They're all over this competition. And with the money they've spent on their new stadium, I, I don't think they'd have too many problems. Uh, it'd be a nice way for them to start getting some income. Um, okay, Adam Hamlin, you'll probably get a lot of transfer questions, but can you discuss Liverpool and their hunt for a forward? Who would be your top five candidates for each position? A false nine, an out-and-out out nine, and a wide forward. Also, would you rather sign one grade A forward or two grade B forwards? So the grade A forward he's given as an example is Victor Simeon. And the great B Fords are Ivan Tony and Jared Bone. I think that's very fair in terms of how to categorize them. For me, I would always rather sign the one great A Ford. Always give me one great player. Give me one great player who can become absolutely world class over two lads with lower ceilings. If you're looking to get into the top four, then maybe you go Tony and Bone. But if you're looking to win the major honours, I think a match winner like a Simeon is the one you go for. Right, top five candidates. Um, for the out-and-out forward, Victor Simeon would be my number one. I think as a number nine, I think he's probably the sixth best number nine in the world right now. I would say Benzema, Kane, Lewandowski, Mbappe and Haaland are the ones I would put above him. And only Mbappe and Haaland are under 29 years of age. So I, that's the kind of level I put him at. Uh, my number two option would be Darwin Nunes. There's definitely some flaws in his game. There's definitely some areas of weakness, but there's nothing that is uncoachable. There's nothing that can't be developed. So I'm very high on Darwin. I think he'd be a really good addition. Number three, I would say Tammy Abraham. Now, I think Tammy has a lower ceiling 
than Darwin and a Simeon. But right now, he's a better player than Darwin and a better finisher than a Simeon. He'll be expensive is the issue. Chelsea have a £68 million buyback for next summer. So I think if he goes this summer, it's going to be above that. And I'm not sure I'm comfortable playing, paying that for Tammy Abraham. My fourth would be Alexander Isak of Real Sociedad. I think he is a massive talent. I think he might have the most potential of anyone on this list, but I also think he's got the highest bust potential. I think he's high risk, but I think he's high reward, but also high risk. So he'd be fourth. And Ivan Tony would be fifth because I really like Ivan Tony's all round game. Uh, another one I'd throw in there is Yusuf N. Naziri, who's dipped a little bit in the last couple of years, but there's a real player there in the right system. And I think his skill set would actually work really well with Salah. If you're, if one of your primary objectives is to get a nine that works really well with Salah, then the likes of Isak, Tony, and N. Naziri have really strong cases. You look at what Salah was able to do with Ed and Zeko, and I think he could do similar with them. Now, there's no reason Darwin can't develop into that. There's no reason a Simeon can't develop into that. Tommy has good link-up play, but again, I just think his ceiling is a bit lower. It's it's lower than Darwin. It's lower than a Simeon. It's lower than Isak. Um, so they'd be my top five out and out, you know, number nines, quote-unquote traditional number nines. In terms of non-traditional number nines, Nkunku is one. I think his all-round game is spectacular. Great 1v1 player. Doesn't have an explosive burst. Relies more on his feet, you know, been able to show the ball, move the ball. Doesn't just knock it by and run. He's not a Gareth Bale-type kick-and-chase player. It's all about his close control. He's powerful. He's a good passer. He's creative and inventive. He's a really good finisher. He'd be number one. Latoura Martinez will be number two. Um, I think he's better in a two, but he could develop into that role. And I thought last night against Italy, from what I saw of the, the game, the finalissimo, I, I thought he looked really good playing as a lone number nine. Um, he would be number two. Number three, I think this kid will be much better as a 10 than as a false nine. I think he's much more suited to 4-2-3-1 than 4-3-3. But Joe Felix, talent-wise, he is off the scale. What he could become is, I mean, I think only Mbappe has that level. I don't even think Haaland has that level of what he could be. But again, with him, like with Isak, it's sort of potentially incredible reward, but there is a potential bust factor there. Um, fourth, I would say Matthias Cunha, also of Atletico Madrid. I think right now he's more suited to playing as an inside forward, but I do think when you look at his all-round game, and you start to try and project it out and you add in growth, physicality, things like that. I think you can see a real player there. I think there's a lot to really like in his game, his touch, his awareness, his spatial awareness is outstanding. 
he's the type of guy who can receive the ball back to goal, already know where everybody is. So he doesn't have to waste a touch. He doesn't have to waste time checking his shoulders. He knows where everybody is. I think that's a very, very special gift. So I, I would say him. Now, I think he's going to play a much bigger part at Atleti this coming season, given that they've just let Suarez leave. So I, I'm not sure how available he is, but he'd be four. And five, I mean, I like Amin Guri. I just physically don't think he's he's at that level. And again, I think he's more of a wide forward right now. Um, I mean, Danjuma interests me, but the price is going to be obnoxious, I think. I'd probably just go for a short-term fix in Memphis Depay. I get the feeling he wants to leave Barca. I get the feeling Barca would be okay with him leaving. Hasn't really worked like people hoped it would. He's kind of feast or famine. There's, there's, no, there's no such thing as, you know, Memphis Depay was 6 out of 10. Memphis is either 8 or 9 out of 10 or 3 out of 10. There's just no in-between with him. But I'd probably go Memphis. So in Kunku, Laturo, Zhao, Cunha and Memphis. Um, and then for wide forwards, Rafael Leao has to be number one. Now, his signing would mean you move Diaz to the right and put Mo through the middle. But I love him. I mean, I think he's got so much to his game. And the way he leveled up this past season, he was sensational. Absolutely sensational. I think long-term, you're going to want to play him in a front two, just off your striker. And I think he will absolutely light leagues on fire if given the opportunity. If I was a Portuguese person, I'd be very excited about what my national team is going to be with him and Zhao and a lot of the other talent you've got there. The post-Cristiano era is going to be better than the Cristiano era. Um, he'd be one number two I, I still I love Rafinha I love Rafinha I love watching him play I like how much needle it is in his game I think there's real desire there I think he works really hard he's very inventive on the ball I would put him number two Um, I really like Oyarzabal from Real Sociedad I think he's just super intelligent. There's no one thing you look at and say, oh, he's brilliant in that regard. He's lightning quick, anything like that. But you watch him play and there's no flaw in his game. Like he's a solid seven and a half to eight out of 10 at everything. And he's super intelligent. And he takes up really good positions. He reminds me of when Pedro was in his prime, but he's a better all-round player than Pedro. So he'd be third. Fourth. I mean, I mentioned him earlier in regards to Newcastle, but Musa Diaby does intrigue me. He's raw, and there's a there's a lot to kind of a lot that needs to happen for him to fully realize his potential. But Musa Diaby is definitely someone worth consideration. And then the fifth one, who to be fair, he's actually he'd be fourth on third on my list, third or fourth on my list, is Serge Gnabry. 
but he's the hardest to get because who knows what Bayern want to do with him. There's obviously a contract dispute going on. And if if he's turning down the money at Bayern because he wants more, then he's not a viable option for Liverpool. If he's turning down the money at Bayern because he feels disrespected, then maybe he is. And in, in truth, his best, the very, very best of Serge Gnabry is better than what he's shown is better than everyone on my list. The level he has gotten to when Hansi Flick was the manager is better than anyone else on this list. I think Liao, it's what he is and the upside. Diaby's what he is and m- more so the upside. Like with him, with, with Liao, it's sort of 50-50. You're getting a really good player now who will become a great player or should become a great player. With Diaby, he's a good player who could become a great player. I think Serge is already a great player at his best. It's just that it's it's fleeting. Rafinha and Ayarzabal, I think, are very good players. I don't know if they become great players. They could be. It just depends on what happens in the next 18 months for them. This is a very key time in their careers. So I go Liao one, Nabri two, Rafinha three, Oyarzabal four, and Diaby five. That's the way I'll put it. Um, all of them would require a change in how Liverpool play. And I would say four of them would require a change in shape. All of them require Salah going through the middle because for Leao Diaz has to go to the right, Salah through the middle. For the others, primarily, I think I would want them on the right. So again, Salah goes through the middle. Leao can play 4-3-3, no question. Uh, the others, I think, are better suited to 4-2-3-1. So you'd move Salah through the middle, and then you'd look for a number 10. Now, I'll give you my list of number 10s. Even though you haven't asked for it, I'll give you my top five that I would want in that position. Number one for me, and this is just more of a, this is more of a, a heart overhead thing, is Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. Because I've wanted him at Liverpool for five years now. Te- technically off the charts, an absolute unit. I think he could come to England and have a similar impact as to what Yaya Toure had when he played as a number 10. So he'd be one. Dominic Sabalaya, whose name I butcher every time, Zaboslai, I think it's Zaboslai, isn't it? Uh, he'd be number two. He can play as an eight or a ten. He's maybe my actual first choice. Someone said, him to, said it to me on Twitter the other day, and I actually can't stop thinking about how good that would be. Florian Verts, when he recovers from the knee injury, is probably the most talented of all of these, but you're buying a player off the back of an ACL that you've got to just temper expectations. Um, The one thing as well, all of these players can play as an eight or a 10. Because otherwise, if I was just looking for a 10 and I was committing to four, two, three, one, and that was going to be it, Joe Felix would be number one. It would be Joe, then Sergey, but... These are players that can play as, a, as an 8 or a 10. 
So Sergey Dominic Verts. I really like James Madison, but there's there's reports that he's a bit of an arsehole. So and he looks like he should be in Geordie Shore. So I just can't get on board with it. But, but a very good player. Um Christian Eriksen's worth consideration, but he's probably one. I if if you're buying, if you could bring in two, you'd bring in Eriksen plus one other. So Eriksen plus Dominic. Ericsson plus Florian Verts because you're not going to play Ericsson 50 games a season, not with what he's been through. You have to manage him very carefully. But I'll leave Ericsson off. Um, Lovro Meyer of Wren would be in my list because I, I just I love watching him play. I absolutely adore watching him play. He's so good and he's so under the radar. Nobody talks about him when they talk about the best playmakers in Europe, but I think he's right up there. Um, and my final one, I would probably, like, this guy's, this guy can kind of play anywhere. He can play as an eight, a 10, a nine. He can play wide and he, there's something about him when I watch him that I really, really like. It's Charles de Catelier, who I've mentioned before a few times. There's something about him. He, there's just, he's one of those players that when you watch him play, he's sort of doing everyone else's thinking for them. He just takes up such clever positions as well. And that versatility is so rare. So I'll go with him. I'll go with him as my fifth. Now, obviously, Zhao and Kunku, they can play as a 10. Uh, like I said, the cat you could play anywhere. So you could have him as a nine. You can have him in your number nine list. Um, and I would, if I, if it was a choice between him or Ivan Tony, and I wasn't looking for a starter, I'd probably pick him because the upside is is immense. Uh, a front two of him with Raphael Leo just off him would be spectacular. So that's the other thing to factor in as well. What's your long term? shape going to be but yeah those would be my list those would be my list so i hope they're okay i hope they answer the uh the questions for you adam uh just make sure i haven't gotten any more in before i get to the last two right that's fine uh the last two here then so alex sapopo uh, I know you've mentioned that you consider Pulisic a quality player. I was wondering if you could go into a bit more depth as to why. As an American myself, I don't seem to have as high an opinion of him as most would take Gio Reyna over him. So Gio Reyna is potentially spectacular. Like there's so much talent in that guy. And he can be basically anything you want him to be because of his versatility. The issue with Geo is the injuries. That's a massive concern for me. In, but yeah, in terms of talent, I put him over Pulisic without a question. But I do, I do think Pulisic is very, very good. I think his his dribbling ability is probably. I'd probably struggle to name ten better dribblers than him. Both in terms of his ability to carry the ball over distance. 
and beat players and his ability to retain possession in very tight space. He's got really quick feet. He's got wonderful balance. Because he's so small, he's able to just skip through gaps that, you know, bigger players wouldn't get through. He can go both sides as well, which is a rarity. He's comfortable controlling the ball with his left foot and beating players around one side or going back in through the middle. I think he's a good finisher. I think it's an area of his game where he could get more consistent. But when I watch him take up good positions in the box, I think he makes good contact with the ball. I think he's got a calm head. It's just a consistency thing. Injuries have have slowed him quite significantly in his career. And I don't mean slowed him down as in they've taken away anything of his game. But he misses quite a lot of time. And I think that does impact people's views on him. It's the same situation we have with Naby Kate at Liverpool, where he misses so many games that it's just hard to fully get on board the train because it often derails. Like, if you look at Pulisic's career, which began in 15-16, he's been around a long time now. Infection, illness, muscle problems, calf problems, muscle problems, abdominal influenza, shin bone bruise, knock influenza, muscular problems, torn muscle fiber, muscle problems, torn muscle fiber, torn muscle bundle. That takes us to the end of 1819. That's a lot. That's a lot in three years. That's his Dortmund time. Then you go to Chelsea. Uh, arch pain, groin injury, muscle bruise, tear in the abductor muscle, calf injury, calf strain, hamstring injury, quarantine for COVID, muscle injury, coronavirus, ankle injury, and illness. No, he seems like quite a sickly boy. I, I think someone want to get hold of him and, and see what's going on with his immune system. But there's a lot of injuries in there as well. And the problem he has is that He's not one who comes back from an injury and immediately finds his level. Like there's just a certain players who are. Luis Suarez was like that. Suarez rarely got hurt. But when he'd come back, it was like he'd never been away. Salah is normally like that. End of this season, we'll, we'll take out of it. But normally if Salah misses a game or two through injury, he comes back and it's just business as usual. With Pulisic, he is a rhythm player. I think he's a confidence player as well. And the other problem is that because he's at Chelsea, where there's a lot of competition for places, if he's in the team and all of a sudden he gets hurt, by the time he comes back, the position isn't there for him. Someone else has taken it. Someone else has taken the reins and is performing. And you've got others there that are... So if Pulisic, say, is first choice, let's say it goes Pulisic, Werner, Hudson-Odoi, and Pulisic gets hurt. Well, now he's number three for that position. Tuchel seems to operate mostly a meritocracy. And if lads come in and do well, he keeps them. And if they don't, or they're not trying hard enough. Now, hudson Adoy might have been a bad example to make because he rumours out of Chelsea are that he's not the best trainer in the world, that his attitude has been a little bit questionable but let's take, for an example, let's look at Saul as an example, right? So Saul went there 
in the summer. And without question, Saul is better than basically all of the midfielders they have there, except Kante at his best, which we don't see very often. But he went there and he didn't play well his first couple of games. So what Tuchel did is he put him right to the bottom of the list. And Kovacic had a really good season. And Kante had... And, and Mick, Kante might be the the, the ex, exception to the rule at Chelsea because he dips in and out depending on injuries. But he's one of one. There is no other Kante. But Jorginho was getting his games and staying fit and performing at a decent level. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who most people had written off, by all accounts, put in ferocious shifts in training this season really rededicated himself to his Chelsea career and Tuchel rewarded him. And Saul got the hump a little bit because he joined having been, you know, a starter on a title-winning team for the last 10 years, well, eight years or however long it has been at Atleti. And all of a sudden he joins Chelsea and he's back at the queue. And apparently got the hump. Now, he did improve over the season, but he just couldn't get that trust back from Tuchel and get into the team. So my thing with, with Pulisic is, I think if you, if he could stay fit for a season and we could get the full experience, I think a lot more people would get on board with how talented he is. Forgetting the fact that he seems like a twat and the... Trumper in him is distasteful and off-putting. As a player, I, I do think he's a very special talent. I think Gio is even more talented, but uh, Pulisic for me is 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 very, very good. Uh, final question here. Uh, Janeasy Fushizi. Um, you mentioned the need at centre-back for Crystal Palace, and today they were linked with Chris Richards. Do you think that's a good match for both the club and player? Yes, I do. Chris Richards is an interesting player. There's clearly talent there. But obviously joined Bayern very young. They had a lot of central defenders at the time. And he wasn't going to get in the team. He's been loaned to Hoffenheim for the last season and a half. I think he's done well when he's played. He hasn't played every single game. He's still only 22, like, and he's just turned 22 back in March. He's still a very young central defender. The thing to remember about central defenders as well is they do tend to peak a little bit later than attackers and midfielders, oftentimes because their games require a level of physicality that they don't get till they're you know, 23, 24, 25 you get the odd rare exception. And I suppose now they're becoming more and more common. But you look at Ibu Kanate or Upa Meccano or Matthias Lick, they were men at 18, 19. Chris Richards wasn't that. He was skinny. You know, he's had to bulk up. He's had to add muscle. Um, the only concern I have is he has had some injuries. Uh, ankle injury, illness, calf problems, minor knock, hamstring injury, foot injury, fitness issue. That was off the back of the foot injury because he'd been out for a couple of months. And another hamstring injury. So this is two quite significant hamstring injuries inside 12 months. That's a little bit of a concern. But 
in how Palace play, he's not going to be asked to defend big spaces. He's not going to be asked to play a high line. But he can give them the option of playing the high line because he does have good recovery pace. What's his height? What is, is he 6'1"? He's not the biggest centre-back in the world. But he is pretty good in the air. Uh, 6'2". So not bad. Not bad. I, I would say yes. I think his age profile, the potential price could be sub 10 million. I think it makes sense for both parties because he doesn't have a future at Bayern. When you see Bayern going out and looking at a bunch of other young centre-backs, there's no future for him at that club. Um, so he needs to move on. And like I said the other day, Palace need that depth centre-back. So it makes sense for them to look for somebody with big potential and who might be marketable as well with the with the fact that he's a, a US international. But when you know at Bayern they've got Upa Meccano, who's I think 22, 23. Um, geez, he's older than I thought. He's 24 this year. Benji Pavard isn't that old, he's 26. Um Lucas Hernandez, I think, is 26 as well. And then they've got the kid they stole from Nianzu, Nianzu, who's a young centre-back as well, and he's a, he's a massive talent. He's only 19. Plus, they're always been linked with others. So, yeah, I think it makes sense for him to move on. I think it makes sense for Palace to pick up a player like that. I'd still look to bring in one more. I, I did say two backup centre-backs. I'd look for somebody a bit more experienced, someone with knowledge of the division, someone who's been around. And it doesn't have to be a star. It doesn't have to be someone that you're ever banking on becoming a starter for you. Um, Who would be a good example? Like if they could find a Johnny Evans type, you know, that would, that would work. A younger Johnny Evans, not the current Johnny Evans. Um, that would be the type of thing if Phil Jones didn't have the injury issues, he could be an example of that. Uh, Lachelle's, I think there's too much damage done there from the, the Bruce days. Um, you know, like a, I'm trying to think, Lewis Dunk, but not quite as good. Shane Duffy, even. He's a bit rash. He can be a bit of a head, headbanger at times, but someone like Duffy could be an option. I'm just cycling to through Premier League teams and trying to think of like a Michael Keane type. Michael Keane himself would be fine as a backup to Anderson. I mean, he's not ideal, but in how Palace play, he'd be a bit better off than he is in how Everton play. Someone like that. If they could find Richards and someone of that ilk, ideally someone a little bit better and a little bit cheaper than Michael Keane would be. Do you know, actually, the, the one I'd look at who hasn't been... Ben Mee actually is a great chef. Guy suggested Ben Mee. Ben Mee would be a great chef. Because I was thinking Tarkovsky, but he's not going to go anywhere. He's not a starter unless it's a big club with a, a bunch of money offered. Uh, ben Mee would be a great chef. Ben Mee knows the division. He's got leadership. He's got the experience. He's got versatility. can also slot in at left back if you need him to. Gives you the option of playing a back three to close, close out a game. Ben Mee would work. The other one I would suggest, this guy hasn't got Premier League experience, but I think he's more than ready, is Robert Dickey of QPR. 
26 years of age, coming off a very, very strong season. And I think he's ready. He's had two seasons now in the championship. He has done this the hard way. He came through the Reading Academy and didn't make the grade. Went on loan to Basingstoke Town in the Conference South. The Conference South. It's about eight divisions down. Uh, he was at Cheltenham, 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 Cheltenham in the National League. Helped them get promoted to League Two. Went on loan to Lincoln in League Two. Went permanently then to Oxford in League One. Spent two full seasons there. It was very, very good. Moved to uh, QPR and he has been fantastic. Robert Dickey is someone I would look at for them. He's also someone, if I was um, Nottingham Forest, and I'm going to do this next week, but a spoiler alert. If I was Nottingham Forest, Robert Dickey would be my top target for centre-back this summer to come in and play between Joe Worrell and Scott McKenna. Robert Dickey would be the guy. Right. One sec, and we'll do the gossip. Uh, let's pull this up now. I should mention Scotland went out of the World Cup last night to Ukraine, but I'm sure you're already aware of that. I, I didn't watch the game, so I'm not going to comment too much. I am happy from a Liverpool point of view that Andy Robertson will at least get a break. But um, it's what a horrible end of the season for Andy Robertson. Uh, but you know, from a Scottish for the, for all the Scots listening and for my Scottish friends, I, I do feel sorry for them. But I am absolutely thrilled for the Ukraine. Um, Argentina beat Italy in the f- final. Some if you didn't see it, it was a decent game by the looks of it. Messi played really well. Um, Manchester United have spent the last twenty four hours announcing players leaving. Jesse Lingard is gone. Juan Mata is gone. The decks are being cleared, and the wage bill is being brought down. Uh, Liverpool's Egyptian forward Mo Salah would prefer to join a Premier League rival next summer if no new deal to stay at the Reds is agreed. I don't believe it for a second. I think it's spin. I think it's come from his agent. Um, Sadio Mane wants to leave Liverpool this summer with Bayern Munich serious contenders for a signature. Fabrizio Romano late to the party as always. Chelsea have opened talks with Sevilla about Jules Koundé. We'll wait and see. Uh, Newcastle are close to securing a move for Hugo Ekatiki for in a 36 million plus add-ons deal. Um, there is a Newcastle journalist who I'm not going to name who is trying to tell people that it's actually 10 million plus add-ons. The man is a buffoon. A buffoon. And he'll find ways. He he claimed Newcastle would only have 60 million to spend. Now what he's going to try and claim, he's going to try and claim he's the cleverest guy in the room. So what he's going to try and claim once this deal gets done is that Newcastle's first payment is $10 million and that the rest is then in installments. And that's how a normal transfer is done. But that's not what he's said up to now. And then he's going to try and claim that they can afford to pay $60 million out this summer, even if the complete cost of those deals is 200 million they're only paying 60 million out this summer that's what he's going to try and claim but don't allow him to do that because that's not what he's been saying uh after announcing the exits of paul pogba and jesse lingard manchester united have opened talks over a deal for frankie de Jong. he doesn't want to join 
Like, he just, he doesn't want to join. So what are you doing? If he joins, it's for the money. And United have had far too many players join for the money so far. Uh, United will look to pursue alternative surrogate linked with Shavit. United have been linked with him for five years and there's no real basis to it at all. Juventus are confident they have agreed a deal to bring Pogba back to the club. Liverpool plan to offer Naby Keita a new contract. Paris Saint-Germain are keen on the player, but the Reds are hoping to keep him. I'd like to keep him, but if PSG are willing to pay 50 million, I'd sell him. Uh, Wolves are closing in on Joe Polina. That's a really good signing if they can get that across the board. Now, unfortunately for them, it's probably him in and Neves out. And then you still need one in midfield because uh, they need him anyway. Manchester City remain keen on England midfielder Calvin Phillips, but Wolves are, or Leeds are hopeful of keeping the player. I have to say, I hope he stays. I do. I really want him to stay now they stay up. I want Rafinha to stay as well, but I don't think he will. Bayern Munich will try and sign Romelu Lukaku. No, they won't. No, they won't. Lukaku is prepared to take a cut in wages to help any return to former side into Milan. Makes sense. He never wanted to leave to begin with. Real Madrid want Borussia Dortmund's England midfielder Jude Bellingham, but they will not move for the 18-year-old until 2023. Nobody will move until 2023 because he's not available to them. Manchester United have prioritised jury and timber but have also held two rounds of talks with Braga's Portuguese defender, David Carmel. Uh, it's from the Manchester Evening News. What journalist's name is on this? Luckhurst. So you just don't know whether there's any truth to it or not. Uh, relegated Burnley defender, James Sarkowski is wanted by Aston Villa, Everton, West Ham, Newcastle and Fulham. So a lot of good options for him. At Villa... I think he's the third centre-back because they've just spent massive money on Diego Carlos and I, I would rather have en- Ev- Ezra Conza and his recovery pace next to Carlos. He's a starter for Everton. He's a starter for West Ham. He's a starter for Newcastle and he's probably the best defender Fulham have ever had. So, yeah, um, or certainly in the Premier League era. Um He's got plenty of options. He can take his time and make a choice based on what the best project is. Villarreal are in advanced talks to sign Giovanni Gacelso. That one's been rumbling for a while. Mesut Ozil does not plan to leave Fenerbahce despite struggling for first-team football at the Turkish club. There seems to be something more going on there than just some you know, footballing issue. Uh, Aston Villa want to sign three more players after adding Bubakar. Camara from Marseille, Phil Coutinho, and Diego Carlos. Uh, Uruguay's 35-year-old forward, Luis Suarez, is one of those under consideration. Uh, so I believe I had backup right back, backup left back, and striker, starting caliber striker, as the other three needs for Villa. They've addressed three. Um, with Coutinho, with Camara, and with Carlos, uh, we remain to see how well they've addressed them. But, yeah, I think that's what I had for them. Backup right back behind Cash, backup left back behind Dina, and a starting strike. I'm just going to pull up the uh, the Word document that I've been trying to scrabble all this together in. Uh, I'm actually keeping notes for the first time. Normally I don't. 
I do have written down somewhere. I'm going to laugh at myself next week. If I can find my predictions for this season, there should be some good, uh, some good content in there to have a good laugh at. Uh, yes, back up right back, back up left back, and a starting striker is what I have for Aston Villa to do this summer. So um, I don't think Suarez is that starting striker. As much as I love Suarez, I, I don't think he's a starting Premier League striker at this point in his career. I think Villa would be better served to look elsewhere. Um, who it would be, I don't know. I do really like Ivan Tony. I've got a backup goalkeeper as well. So I've got a backup goalkeeper down there too. Um, so they, they, have, they have three of their seven needs uh, addressed, four to go. Uh, nobody else has addressed any needs thus far, but it's only June the 2nd, so we'll wait and see. Right, I have rambled enough. That is me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for the questions. Hopefully the answers are suitable, and I will see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.